You are now listening to the Random Black Person in Canada podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing housing. Another one, how are we all doing? Canada's elections have come and gone. And wow, wow, wow. Um, I predicted they would still be a minority government for the Liberals. Um, and surprise, surprise, another minority government. It just looked inevitable. There wasn't change afoot. There wasn't anything that was glaringly wrong. There wasn't anything anybody else was providing that was going to be blatantly different. And so as a result, um, it appears that we are going back to status quo with more or less the same number of liberals in the in um, parliament, same number of conservatives, more or less, and also same more or less number of Bloc Québécois and also NDP. So nothing shocking there. Miss Anime Paul did not even win her seat. So she is not even a member of parliament as we discuss this. Um, so the Green Party just, you know, really not really making it of traction. Um, interesting uh, party, PPC, the People's Party of Canada, led by Maxime Bernier, who defected from the Conservatives, did not win his seat as well, but overall had a better showing than the Green Party. So there is some kind of movement there and it's something to keep an eye on on the far right of the political spectrum. I suspect they'll start winning seats probably from the next election when a number of people are tired of the Liberals. So that is something I'm expecting to see. I think a lot of people are gonna be exhausted by the Liberals once we come out of the pandemic and we are looking for some fiscal responsibility because we are going to let it slide that the Liberals are being um, spendthrift at this time because of the pandemic. But I suspect once everybody and their grandma gets back to normal, um, there will be some restraint expected. One of the huge topics throughout the election and even beforehand, especially because of the pandemic, has been housing. Um, in Canada, and for those who are, you know, in Canada, those who are outside may not be aware, but Canada's homes are ridiculously expensive. Um, one of the things that shocked me when, you know, I looked at it and discovered was the U.S., in terms of homes, the prices, depending on where you are in the U.S., are vastly different than in Canada. Now, some places in the U.S. are significantly mixed than all of Canada. So, for example, the Californias of the world, you know, the New Yorks, like New York City, I should say. Um, those places, of course, are more expensive. But there are places, you know, when you look at Texas, where you can get a lot. So, a Texas is still more expensive than a Calgary, for example. Um, so I mean, maybe I should be able to significant work more um, explicit in what I mean by Texas because Texas is the whole state. So if you look at maybe like an Austin versus a Calgary, on average, Calgary used to be higher. You look at, um, you know, some places in Florida compared to like, you know, somewhere like a Hamilton, still more expensive. Um, you look at a Mississauga in Canada, you compare that with, I don't know, name place in the US. Atlanta, still more expensive. And so you start to see things like that where why are Canada's homes so ridiculously expensive? 
And how did it get even much worse more more recently in Canada in the last couple of years? It's to the point where it becomes a regular conversation. So I moved to Toronto uh, five, six months ago now, five, six months ago. And I remember one of the things people talked about was, was I trying to buy in Toronto? And I said, I mean, if I could find something, then definitely. But you see, it is so ridiculous as an individual, you know, single income household. And I'll get to what I mean by single income household in a second. But it is so ridiculous where there's an expectation for you to buy a starter home in Canada. You are required almost by default to have two incomes to be able to afford a place in the greater Toronto area. So I want to be specific here. In the GTA, if you do not have a partner who's buying with you, either a friend, spouse, common law, whomever, it is pretty much out of reach to buy a place in the greater Toronto area, even as a starter, unless you are in the 0.01% of income earners in the first home, first time buyer perspective. So for someone like me, I cannot buy myself, well, relatively buy a home in GTA by myself because it is so ridiculous. Um, and again, this is based on my own income. I'm talking about my own income from my job. And I'm not saying that to complain. I'm just saying that to be like, and keep in mind, I I earn a lot. I'm, I'm going to be very candid here where like compared to people in the same age bracket, I, I'm, I earn well, okay? And even for someone like myself, and I recognize that if someone like me could struggle, it isn't normal to expect the average person to be able to afford to buy a place. Now I've talked about a couple of markets here. I've talked about, for example, the Torontos, I've talked about Hamilton, I've talked about Calgary, but I did not even bring up Vancouver yet. Vancouver is astronomical. It is so bad. Like Vancouver is known as one of the most expensive places to live in, in the world. It's not even just Canada. This is the entire world. Of course, it is in part because Canada is a great place to live. You know, there's immigration, they've got a couple of good places. But Vancouver also has great weather. And a lot of the reasons why people don't want to come to Canada is because winter. And I know I've talked about this a number of times across a bunch of episodes where like Canada's winter is not a joke. Um, it is not a, it's not like, I, I don't know how much Mike can say about Canada's winter. It's not a joke. Um, so, if you want to hear my, me ramble about it some more, um, episode 14, you can go back and listen to that one. So imagine being able to get Canada's benefits, but with better weather, where there's almost no snow. You know, Canada's got good healthcare. Canada's a you know, pretty sane society. We don't have a lot of guns. Um, you know, people respect your differences. People don't expect you to change your culture entirely. Like you can be whatever you were before plus Canadian. So you can be Nigerian Canadian. You can be Italian Canadian. You can be Chinese Canadian. You know what I mean? So you are not expected to give up your previous identity unlike a lot of other countries who require you to drop everything else you know in becoming an immigrant of their country. You drop everything else you used to know and you become theirs. So you become, you know, 
Italian. Like, even if you're African, Italian, it's not, no, no, you're Italian now, you know? Even Americans, to some extent, expect you to become American. <laughs> like, you know? So even though, I mean, there's still, of course, the small parts of something American, you know, African-American or Nigerian-American. There's still some level of that, but it's expected that you give that up to become fully American. So that's why the white Vancouver is expensive because Canada plus good weather, pretty much like just makes it a wonderful place to be. And so now if you try to buy anything in Vancouver, just give it up because the homes there are in the millions, like everything is in millions and millions just start to seem like monopoly money when you're in Vancouver because it, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. And so one of the big things I was talking about in the election was how are we going to keep housing down? Because, you know, younger Canadians are priced out of the market. People who are looking to enter can't even enter. And even for those who already have homes can't sell because where are they going to go? If you sell your really expensive home and you're happy, sure, but where are you going to go? Because you're going to spend even more to go to where next. So unless you're getting something more with the same money, if you say you were leaving Canada to go to the US, then what would be the benefits of selling? So you're holding. And so homes are just getting more expensive and more expensive. And those who have stick, those who are trying to get in can't. And so you're wondering, so if in Canada, people who already live here can't get in, and those who already have something are sticking, where is the extra purchasing coming from? And of course, as I've already touched on already, immigration. So by default, it becomes foreigners. And so now there's this huge thing where one of the big issues they love, you know, candidates talked about was, would they ban foreign buyers? And obviously the liberals who have now won proposed banning for two years foreign buyers. Now, the challenge with a lot of immigration it is, is that is, it is very easy to start conf conflating what a foreign buyer is with a non-landed immigrant. So I'll give you a classic example. When I bought my first home, this is way back in 2016, I was considered a foreign buyer. By 2016, I had been in Canada for seven years. And I want to say this as, <laughs> um, <laughs> as calmly as I can. In 2016, I would have been considered a foreign buyer. I was still on a work permit. I had studied in Canada for over six years. Well, no, let me, let me backtrack. I'd studied in Canada for five years to that point. One year in high school, another five years or four-ish, no, four and a half-ish in university. So about five years in Canada. And had started working for about a year and a half at the time I bought my first home in Ottawa in 2016. Because I was still in the process of applying for my permanent residency, I would have been considered a foreign buyer because I did not have landed status in Canada. I had paid taxes to that point as much as I could. I had obviously invested in a Canadian uh, institution, Carlton. And so you would imagine that I would be considered, for all intents and purposes, especially in this current climate, part of being a non-foreigner. But, you see, there are going to be a number of people who are going to get caught in this foreign buyer tag 
who may actually love to buy a home. And now I cannot say, for example, how what percentage of people would fall into that category. But because a huge amount of Canada's immigration strategy involves converting foreign international students into immigrants and also bringing people in with masters or people coming in through the extra entry process, there are going to be a good amount of people who will get caught in the crossfire who are immigrants, but because they do not have the permanent residency status yet, will be considered foreign buyers. And for me, that raises a, it raises alarm bells, quite frankly, for me, because I feel like that would, I would be immensely frustrated by not being able to buy. Now, again, keep in mind, the foreign buyer situation has not happened yet. The foreign buyer's ban has not happened yet. But based on the conversations we were having in the election and based on what, you know, the liberal government are going to assume is okay, is they're going to ban the foreign buyers because that's what they, you know, campaigned on and it's most likely what they're going to do. I worry about that because housing is ridiculous. But again, that's one side. There's the other side of obviously government's benefits, especially in Canada, from Houses going up in value. Property taxes are dependent on your home's valuation. It's not by, you know, anything else. It's not by how much you paid. It's how much it is valued. And as it goes up, you're obviously, it's a percentage tax. And so as it, as it goes up, governments can collect more property tax from you. It just goes alongside. So there's really some incentive to maintain it, you know, to get Canadians to buy, but also some incentive to maintain the growth of the value of homes for governments as well. So I just want to balance that as well. And now the last piece I'm going to touch on on housing here is obviously if you cannot buy, right, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to rent. I've already talked about this enough for the last couple of minutes where buying is already crazy. And I say crazy, it's wild. Some people always, oh, the last part I also forgot to mention in that um, little segment was if you cannot buy, uh, who if foreigners are buying, who else is buying if, you know, the people who already have are sticking, people who can't afford, can't buy, and it's foreigners. Well, there's the other side to it where people who already have are also refinancing their homes, taking out cash from the equity that has grown in these homes and buying with that money. So there's currently no plan to stop that. There was, I should add, a small um, measure, that's what I'll call it, where the government during the pandemic did not allow for you to refinance and purchase with proceeds from a refinance your lawyer would specifically tell you if you are that you are not allowed to t- use this money from your refinance to purchase more real estate obviously in a, in a bid to cool the real estate market but you know there is no way to prove that what cash you used to do what and when it comes time to um, purchase it's just about having how much you have in your down payment and etc etc there are ways around it and so now if you're not buying well, then you are renting. And so as you can imagine, if the buying market is going crazy, even if the rental market isn't going as crazy, it is still being dragged along based on the value of homes. Think about it. If I just bought a rental property for, say, whatever amount, 600000 700000 and my mortgage ends up being somewhere in the ballpark, again, assuming 
I did not, I I put down maybe even 20%, 140K on the 700,000. And my mortgage is somewhere in the ballpark of 500 and something. Okay, 500 and something. That means my mortgage is going to be around 2,000 and maybe 300, 2,300, 2,300 to two, somewhere in that ballpark over 25 years. That means for me to break even on the mortgage payments alone, I already need to charge my tenants 2,300 just to cover the mortgage. In Toronto, and I want to say this properly, in Toronto, it is not absurd that the rental market is significantly lower than the mortgage price the landlord is paying. It is not absurd. It is, in fact, part of the expectation. And for someone like me who sees these things and thinks about it, it's like, why would I go into a real estate market where I cannot even cover the mortgage? Like, that to me just seems like a terrible idea. Like, I'm essentially buying a home and I'm subsidizing my tenants to cover my own mortgage. That to me is just crazy. But if you think about it, the housing market is running wild. At least it was. It's cooled somewhat slightly since. But still, if you had bought a home, for example, I'll give you a classic example. If you had bought a home in Ottawa, for example, in 2018, guesstimates around maybe if you paid 500K for it, as of today, as we are speaking, that place would be worth over $800,000 if you had bought it in 2018. And that's over 50% increase in a home in three years. That is ridiculous. That is just staggering to think about. And so if you're going to rent, let's say you had bought in, in the 2018 at 500K, then obviously you don't really care that much. You can rent at a fair price. But someone else who just bought in 2021 also wants to get into the game, also wants to rent. So by default, you now have to be paying ridiculous rents in today's market. And so what else do people do to combat this? Well, we've already talked about one of the solutions already. People will partner up. So you find someone, you live together, you go split C's on rent. That is what you got to do. So either you get a roommate or you have a partner or mommy and daddy are subsidizing your life. And so in this kind of climate in Canada, where obviously, you know, you're taxed heavily, you are doing your best to you know, not have to deal with you know seasonal depression from winter. Um, you're trying to do your best in a pandemic to stay alive and follow all the guidelines and you know hopefully not lose your job and hopefully you know work your best in the middle of a pandemic and people are losing jobs left, right, and center. You're you know doing your best as much as you can. Now you got to live with people, and let me tell you, boy, people are stressful. <laughs> I mean, people are stressful. Don't get me wrong. If I lived with me, I would be frustrated all the time. So I can't imagine what other people have to do to make things work. So housing is just crazy in this Canada. Now, the good side, though, to renting compared to buying is when you pay rent, the amount you're paying in rent for that year is the maximum you will pay for that space over that lease. So say, for example, you are paying 2000 a month. Let's just say a ballpark. One thousand doesn't really matter. What about the number? If something breaks in the house, that's not your not your business. You talk to the landlord and they fix it. Um, you know, the washer goes down. The landlord fixes it. Um, something wrong with the appliances. The landlord fixes it. Something is 
again, except Quebec, where the appliances are yours. Just want to add that caveat. There's some places in Canada where you bring in your own appliances. So Quebec is one of those places. So if you move into a space, you actually have to buy your own washer, dryer, <laughs> cooker. It's crazy. But in Ontario, you don't have to because the landlord provides that for you, which is a nice benefit. And so if you're paying rent, you know, something wrong with the building, let's just use building because that is across the board, across all the provinces. So on the flip side, if you buy, the amount you pay in a mortgage is the minimum you will pay in any given month. The minimum. Because if something breaks, it is on you to pay. So that is the, at least the benefit of buy, of renting versus buying, at least. But keep in mind, when you rent, you know, your rent generally goes up. And there's one thing that's very specific to Ontario, which I recently discovered. And so apparently in 2018, when the Doug Ford government became the official government of Ontario and the Conservatives, they were trying to encourage the supply of housing. And so they removed rent controls on residential buildings built and occupied after November 2018. So if you are in a home built or what's the other word? Occupied, built or occupied after November 2018, you do not have rent control in place. So essentially, your landlord can increase the rent by whatever number they please, as much as they like. And I was mind blown by that because I had always thought, and I had always, and I'm doing air quotes here, known that you were under rent control, you couldn't increase rents by crazy amounts. So for example, in 2020, you could not increase your rents at all. It was held at 0%. The province sets that number. In 20, that was in 2020 for the 2021 year. So in 2021, there was no increases at all in rents. It was held at the 2020 number. But for 2022, the rent increase number is 1.2%. So you are allowed to increase rents for any home built and occupied, built or occupied, sorry, before November 2018, to only 1.2%, only 1.2%. But anything built after that can be increased by any amount at all. So literally, in the middle of pandemic, when no people moved out of Toronto, rents crashed pretty much. Yeah, not really crashed, but it dropped. Let's just say it was a significant amount. So a lot of people took it up. I was one of those people. I saw the price drop. And I took advantage. My place would be worth maybe $500 more in the year before. So luckily, I got a place that was really nice. I snatched it. But now I'm realizing, should things go back to normal? And this is part of why I am a huge proponent of things not going back to normal. I really hope they do not. Technically, because my place was built after 2018, technically, my landlord could potentially email me saying your rent is not $500 more and I would be powerless to stop it. And that blows my mind. Keep in mind, I do own property as well. Not in Toronto, of course, because that is just wild and crazy. And so even for me, I know I can do this to one of my tenants and I... <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I would, that's just, that's absurd. And that's evil in my beginning, in my opinion. But the fact that I can, 
and I'm also on the receiving side of it where I, this can be done to me. I'll catch you guys next week. Peace.